Tinder and Steinberg right now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, what did we think of last night? I swear to you, the Flames actually played a hockey game last night. If you thought it was a dream, I'm here to tell you it's reality. They actually played as the home team at Rogers Place in Edmonton against the Oilers. That, that, that actually happened last night. We'll get into some of the uh, specifics shortly, but taking a look at the bigger picture first, Kleiner, all things considered, I thought last night was outstanding. For the first game in almost five months for both teams, that was a lot of fun to watch. It wasn't as sloppy as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't as disjointed as I thought it was going to be. It was significantly more physical than I thought it was going to be. You and I were talking yesterday, and I thought you were bang on when you said that you know, it'll be more than a preseason game, but it'll probably resemble more like a last game of the regular season where neither team has anything on the line. I thought it was, and I thought you were, I thought that was a great way of putting it. And it turned out to be way more intense and, and more physical and more bad blood than what that would have been. I, I thought it was a really good way for both sides to get ramped up for their games on Saturday. And I know that that hasn't been universal through all of these exhibition games today and yesterday, but knowing all of what went into yesterday, unique circumstances, first games against another team in months, and it not meaning anything in the grand scheme of things, I thought it was way better than what I was expecting. It, it actually blew me away in terms of where my expectations were. They were pretty low. I really enjoyed, you know, the, the specifics and, and all of what actually happened and the result aside for a second. I really enjoyed last night. Yeah, I did too. I, I, I thought the, the quality of play was excellent. There, there was emotion in the game right from the word go. When we saw uh, Zach Cassian step up with a big hit when on Gustafson. When he crushed Gustafson, I, was, I turned to Lou and I was like, holy, we are, like, they are not messing around. And, and like, no. Cassian, and that was a good, clean, good, clean yeah. hit. He destroyed Gustafson. Yeah, knocked his helmet off, and then Gustafson had to take a penalty. That's the exact type of hit you'd want to make. That, yeah. That's just that's probably the smartest play Zach Cassian's ever made. Um, but uh, yeah. but that, like Matthew Kachuk backing into the goalie. Like There was James Neal with the, the hack on the Kachuk. The two-hand like, slash was, on Kachuk's back. Yeah, yeah he was a, a few inches away from that being... Really bad. But anyway, it was, I really enjoyed the game last night. It, it was, it didn't feel like an exhibition game. It, you didn't really notice the lack of a crowd in there. I, I thought it was really, really good. I was thoroughly entertained by it for two and a half hours. That was everything you would have wanted it to be for sure. And, and I think, you know, I watched a good chunk of the Leafs Habs game and I thought it was, it was better than the Leafs and Habs. I didn't see a ton oh, yeah. of, did you just die? Uh, yeah, just died. Can't do the show anymore. Sorry. What just what just happened there? I dropped my phone. Okay. Like the phone that you're broadcasting on? No, no. Uh, but I dropped it on the table that I'm broadcasting Oh, okay. On. It sounded like you fell off your chair or something. I was like, do no. we need to, do we need to get Klein, uh, do we need to get Klein some medical attention? I, sh I should have just not answered. I should have just like <laughs> kept quiet. Klein, <laughs> Klein, are you there? <laughs> um, yeah, I like... I, I really thought that I, I don't remember where my train of thought was going there, but I, I really Sorry. thought that it's okay. Um, I, I really felt like both teams approached it the way that they needed to approach it. And, you know, 
I, I give a lot of credit to the Oilers, and I think the Oilers should give a lot of credit to the Flames because both these teams are looking to be in as good a spot for Saturday against the Blackhawks and the Jets, respectively, for Edmonton and Calgary. That They want to be in as good a spot as possible so that they can not miss a beat when dropping the puck. And I know the Flames lost 4-1, and I know there are some things that, that were not great from a Calgary perspective yesterday, and we'll get into that, but... I think if you're the Flames, you say, hey, thanks to the Oilers for for giving us a game that we could get up for. Thanks to the Oilers for coming out and matching our intensity because the result didn't matter. All you wanted was a high-paced game. All you wanted was a competitive game. And all you wanted was a game that you could actually sink your teeth into as a player. And I thought the Oilers gave the Flames all of that last night. So if I'm a Flames fan, I'm tipping my hat to Edmonton because you're not going to see them again until the Western Conference Final if that happens. The, the Oilers are not a worry for the next five to six weeks here. So tip your hat, say thank you for giving us a really competitive and and good warm-up game, and and hopefully if you're the Flames, you can carry that over into Saturday in Game 1 against the Winnipeg Jets. Well, and I think the, the coaching staffs should uh, tip their respective caps to the other as well because the, the Flames didn't have a ton of decisions to make, but they had a couple, and anything that we break down and analyze from this game and any decisions that we, we have to make from this game – I think we can, and we don't have to put the caveat, well, it was kind of a sloppy game, and it was only an exhibition, yada, yada, yada. It it was a competitive enough game, and it it simulated, for for lack of a better term, a real hockey game well enough that you you can make decisions based off of that. You're not projecting, well, if the game wasn't just a complete tire fire, then maybe this would have gone differently. You can actually make real assessments coming off of that game. I thought it was good. I thought it was enjoyable yeah. and uh, good Give on me both a few sides. more months of that. I'm good. Yeah. And I mean, I would expect that come Saturday when the games start to matter for real across the league, the intensity will be ratcheted up. Like, I, I don't think that was that that wasn't playoff intensity. There were still punches pulled last night on both sides. So wait to the point where everybody like there was a couple of times where in the playoffs, no fans or fans doesn't matter in the playoffs. A guy is is finishing that check because he knows that he's not going to get called for a late hit or a charge if he finishes that check in the board a second and a half after the puck is gone. That's that's one of the that's one of the hallmarks of a playoff game or a playoff series compared to the regular season is that there's so much more leeway on what's a what's a late hit on the boards and what's not, and guys are going to take more liberties to finish a check because you're now trying to lean on a team for four to seven games here and and wear them down. And, and so on both sides, I thought there were punches pulled last night, which means that was entertaining and that was physical. I cannot wait until game one between the Flames and the Jets on Saturday. So... Uh, a lot of fun and uh, good on both sides for giving us an entertaining game. Here's a couple of texts at 960-960. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. What's with this whole breaking down hockey games? Where's the content we all want? High school dating anecdotes, magazine subscription analysis, old video game console rankings. Uh, good question. Um, we do wild have Wild Card Wednesday. Soon. Exactly. Wild Card Wednesday is coming up later this hour. So uh, that all of that may appear in Wild Card Wednesday. Um 
I might Pat, steal a couple of those, actually. That's good. That's a good idea. Patty Duma is going to do Wild Card Wednesday for the first time ever. He should steal. So excited. Um, Pat, when you're talking I'm about excited. things that were not so good, do you mean like defensive awareness and how utterly terrible Jankowski was? Stay tuned yep. later this segment. Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, this Flames will be an easy out. We'll see. I mean, I, I did not. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think there were things last night that were not super positive and, and some, you know, concerning things, sure. But to I, I, I'm still not putting all my stock into one exhibition game after four and a half months. I thought it was a good tune-up, and I thought there were good things to take from both sides, and I think for the Flames it was what you wanted. But I, I'm still not ready to say one game after four and a half months means that the Jets are going to bounce them in three games starting Saturday. I'm, I'm just not there at this point. Yeah, I mean, A, don't take that off of an exhibition game. B, maybe wait till the Jets play theirs. Who knows? Maybe they look even like an easier out. Like, let, let's not, let, let's wait for these teams to to play. As, as much as you can take from these games, I, I didn't look at last night and think, oh, well, this team's screwed. Uh, I just, I, I didn't see that from the Flames last night. Let's do this. First of all, welcome to Hour 2 of a mini edition of Pinder and Steinberg. My name is Pat Steinberg. He's Peter Klein. Patty Duma is on the ones and twos today. We're live in our Sportsnet 960 downtown studios. Uh, Before we get into the specifics of last night, let's bring you back for the first time since early March. It is time for the Game in a Minute. Game in a Minute, brought to you by Hyatt Infinity. Calgary's original Infinity destination. Own one and you'll understand. Hyatt Infinity, on Luxury Lane. Empower the drive. Good evening, hockey fans. Tonight, live from Rogers Place in Edmonton, it's the National Hockey League's return to play and an exhibition battle of Alberta between Mark Giordano and the Calgary Flames and Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. Dropping it off, Lasker Kleffbaum bounces it in front and they score. Kyler Yamamoto makes a beeline of the Flames net and shovels the puck over a down and out Cam Talbot. The Flames can't clear it out. Clefbaum over to Dreisaitl. Dreisaitl with a pass. McDavid shoots and scores. Leon Dreisaitl sets up Connor McDavid for a tap-in. Goodrow, Nikastafini shoots. He stopped. Rebound. Lindholm scores. With just 3.6 seconds left in the second period, Elias Lindholm roofs a shot over a down-and-out Mike Smith. The Flames score a power play goal and cut the order's lead in half to 2-1. Now McDavid comes speeding in up the right-wing side. McDavid shoots and scores! Connor McDavid finds the five-hole of David Riddick and a couple of quick goals. And McDavid's second of the game gives the orders a much more comfortable 4-1 lead. That will do it at Rogers Place in Edmonton. The orders with two goals in the first, two goals in the third. Sandwiched in between, one Flames goal in the second. The final score tonight, Edmonton 4 and Calgary 1. You're an original, that's why you need to go to Calgary's original Infinity destination, Hyatt Infinity. Right now, lease a 2020 QX60 for 27 months for $579 a month with $1,995 down. Hyatt Infinity, Heritage Meadows Road on Luxury Lane. Empower the drive. It's me throwing to me. Um, but I do have to say, just before we get into the specifics that was of last night. Uh, that was good car sound effects. Yeah. Um, so I was <laughs> I was here from both of you. Really good job. Uh, I was here yesterday. I think I got here at about 9.45 a.m. And uh, so was running around and, and doing a bunch of stuff. There was a lot to get done 
prior to yesterday's broadcast, you know, working out how we're going to record things. And um, so, so I was facilitating some things and running around. And, and I, I just wanted to tip the hat again to Jeff Mason and how unbelievable a job he's done in, in making sure that we can get back on the air. I know we make fun of him lots on this station, but um, without Jeff, we weren't doing a game last night. So he absolutely rocked it out of the park So and, and was running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And, and good on him. He did incredible work. And uh, so thank you to Jeff. So I, you know, it's helping him and, and chatting with him and doing other stuff to get our broadcast ready and then preparing for a, uh, what, a six and a half hour show or whatever it was. Like there's, it was a lot going on yesterday. So by the time I left, I think it was about 1.45 by the time I left here. And so I walked in, so I walked back. So I, I finally get back to my place. It was about uh, 2 a.m. when I got back to my place. And so I'm like, I, I did not plan very well. I was able to eat lunch yesterday, but I did not get a ch- I thought I was going to be able to like Uber Eats or skip the dishes some dinner. I just, with, with all that was going on and kind of being the producer on the broadcast too, I just couldn't do it. So I was starving. Uh, so I popped in the, uh, I got in the Q60, uh, went to A&W, which is about four blocks away. But then because I love driving that thing so much, I, I just uh, I drove it around the block with the base up like a 19 year old. Um, for about uh, another five minutes. Like, that, that's that got to be the first sign that I have no maturity, is that the first thing I do whenever I drive a vehicle is I go into the audio settings and I turn the bass all the way up. Like, is that, that, that's got to be, like, that's what 19-year-olds do when they get their first car. I'm 35, and I still, there's still something about turning the bass up in a car that I enjoy. So uh, there, is, uh, there is another giveaway as to how much of a dork I am. Bass up. <laughs> And like the first song I always put on in a new vehicle is California Love. Yep, absolute child. <laughs> I was just about to ask what's uh, you, you can't tell us bass up and not tell us the song. So I'm happy that you uh, happy that you backed it up. There was a guy in my hometown who got his first car and just loaded to the nines. Spent like as much as some countries spend on food. He spent that on a sound system for his truck and was just playing Usher Yeah nonstop for <laughs> That's a about, good one. That's a good about one. four weeks. Like I'm not, it, it's like he put Yeah on a CD 14 times and then put that on repeat and was just cranking it the whole way. Yeah, that uh, that's I mean that's a good choice. Another good choice. Right. Um if if you just like songs that that rattle your windows uh, and the the Q60 has got the the Bose speakers, and uh, it 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 does, as as the kids say, it slaps. Um, but uh, first, uh, the other good songs. Uh, Jason Derulo's "Talk Dirty to Me." If you have the bass all oh, the yep. way up, like you can't hear anything but the bass at times. Which again, as a loser, I enjoy. Um, and then uh, Big Sean's "I Don't uh, I Don't Bleep with You" is also really good for that. Mm, uh, so that's there's a solid one. There's a there's a few that uh, you could you could throw, and there's many others. Yeah, but, uh, not to not to wildcard Wednesday up this too too much. You're stealing a lot of my I... questions. <laughs> actually, this is my first time doing it, so I don't know a lot of these are already I, been said. I but... I had a buddy who um like maybe dorkier than us he recorded all these songs and then edited them so that they had bass so that he could crank the bass on a bunch of country music songs while he was ripping around that was that was some next level i need to have the speaker uh, the speakers blaring when you go in and actually edit the audio to add bass so you can crank the bass to your songs um so 
That was just my uh, plug. Go to Hyatt Infinity. Um, get in one of their vehicles and turn the bass up because they got good speakers. Also, the Q60, not slow. Uh, it's Pinder and Steinberg with uh, Steinberg Klein and Patrick Dumas. Uh, let's Patrick Dumas. Um, Desolé. Uh, let's get into some specifics from last night, and there's a lot to get into. Mark Jankowski benched in the third period. He did not get a shift from 1956 of the second period until the end of the game. He struggled all night, and the coaching staff industrially stapled him to the bench. They juggled up their lines. Dubé, Bennett, Lucic, Ronaldo, Ryan, Reeder were the bottom six or the third and fourth lines, however you want to classify them in the final 40 minutes of play. I think that's the way they should be going on Saturday. I don't see why you would put Jankowski in on Saturday night. Uh, I, I like Jankowski as a guy. I still think that there are good parts of his game, but at this stage of the game, you need to ice your best lineup in game one against the Winnipeg Jets. That is as even a series as there is in the qualification round. And as it stands right now, and as it has stood for most of this season, Mark Jankowski not only doesn't make an impact at the best He's been very invisible this year, and at the worst, like he was last night, and I'm fully aware that it was his first game in four and a half months, but he can be a detriment when he just doesn't do anything for you. And I believe there are more effective looks to your lines than shoehorning Jankowski in as your number four center. Bennett, with those two guys, Lucic and Dubé, that is effective. And I think it's as effective with Ryan, but I think Ryan's more versatile than Bennett. And Ryan is a guy that can go anywhere up and down your lineup. He is he is truly the jack of all trades. He's the John McDonald of the Calgary Flames. And I think that you put him on a line with Reeder and Ronaldo. He's as effective as he is with Dubé and Lucic. Whereas I think Bennett gets helped out by having Dubé and Lucic on his flanks. I would absolutely start with Bennett between Lucic and Dubé on Saturday and Ryan between Ronaldo and Reeder, or if you want to throw Zarnik in, whatever. That's the way I would go, but Jankowski's not in my opening day lineup. No, I I, I, mean, I agree with you on the players that will be in the lineup. We can talk about the configuration in a second, but I I, I saw your tweet last night about the, the switches, and I was like, oh, I guess Jankowski hasn't been out there because you just you didn't notice him before that either. It, it was and I like you said, first game in four months. It was everyone's first game in four months. And for him, it was noticeable. And it, it's just you, you can't have that at this point. And on the, the flip side of that, I thought Sam Bennett was really, really good last night and certainly deserved a bit of a bump. I don't know if I, I change it to, to go with Dubé, Bennett and Lucic for night one against the Jets. I think that could be something you go to if you need a bit of a spark or if you need to change something up. I just, I, I look at Derek Ryan and we, we talked about him. Some people were bringing him up as the MVP of the season for the Flames. He was certainly their most consistent player. I don't then bump him down to fourth line because Bennett had uh, a strong night. And you can even the, the minutes out, and I hear what you're saying about Dubé and Lucic raising up the play of Sam Bennett, but... I I look at how good Ryan is when he's out there with Dubé and Lucic and how strong that trio is. They they go out there after the Oilers make it 2-0 and completely settle everything down with a strong shift in the offensive zone. I, I like how that third line fits right. with Dubé, Ryan, and Lucic, so I don't know if I mess with that, but I have no problem with Ronaldo, Bennett, and Reeder as your fourth line, and I, I think something significant would have to happen for me to trust a, a Jankowski at this point. Well, and and you know what? 
even if even if they go with what you're talking about, I I think I just because Ryan's so versatile, and I think that Bennett doesn't isn't going to be asked to drive a line with Lucic and Dubé the same way that he might be asked to with the other two guys. I just think that you know you could put Bennett there, and and Ryan's a guy that can elevate any, anyone around him. I feel like he doesn't need to elevate Dubé. Dubé's been that good. I don't I don't think that he uh, necessarily needs to be a guy that elevates, whereas I think he can elevate a line with Ronaldo and and Reader on it a little more than Bennett can. That's the only way reason why I might swap those two. But he, and 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 I like it's not something I feel super strong about. So if they were to go the way you're talking and go Ryan back with his regular lineups and Bennett with Ronaldo and Reader, yeah, absolutely. I just don't think Jankowski should be in on Saturday. I don't think that I, I don't think that you can convince me that the lineup looks better or is better with him in it at this point. Um, and, and maybe that changes. Maybe game one goes a certain way. You always have that option to go back to, but I, uh, I, I just, I can't see how there's an argument for how he should be in. And he might be in there. I just don't think he should be. No, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's almost at the point where if you were to make a switch, I might have Zarnik in there ahead of him. Like I, I just, it was so, just you just didn't notice him and, and at this time of year with the games meaning as much especially in a best of five I just I don't see how you can really mess with that so I yeah I I'm I'm in complete agreement with you on this one Lou named Dylan Dubé hardest working flame last night tough to argue on my like I thought again oh. for a guy who missed the first week of training camp this guy has been consistently the most impressive player throughout for the Flames. And while I think you'd like to be saying that Lindholm or Monaghan or Gaudreau or Kachuk have been, Dubé, I think, has popped because of you know where he is and where he is in his progression. But Dubé is, has done nothing but impress almost every time I've seen him. Practice, intra-squad game, exhibition game last night. The puck explodes off his stick. He is explosive. He is quick. He's been smart. He's been elusive. He's been slippery. Like I, everything about Dubé's game, I love. He was an analytics darling on that line last night. Du- Dylan Dubé has absolutely arrived. No question. And uh, I thought he was like just. He goes out and draws a penalty, and he four checks creates offensive or. Uh, continues offensive possessions with how well he plays along the wall, like just everything you want him to do. I said in the one o'clock hour, Andrew Japan, he scored a big goal for the flames in their only win against the avalanche. And that was kind of uh, a real breakout moment for him that I think led to a lot of the success he had this year. I wonder if Dylan Dubé has that same kind of, um, same kind of level change this year where he just takes it up another step because of the experience he gets in whatever games the flames get between now and the end of the year. But I, I think Dylan Dubé is ready to take another step here with the Calgary flames. And that's, that's huge for this organization. Uh, Other guys I liked last night. Manjapani was good. Chuck was good. Um, I thought Bennett was solid. Um, I liked Derek Ryan quite a bit. TJ Brody, Mark Giordano, both uh, pretty solid for me. Um, So those, those were guys that I thought popped out at me. I thought Monaghan and Gaudreau were pretty pedestrian last night, so that's not necessarily a, a super encouraging sign, but we'll see what happens come Saturday. But I, I, I did not love Gaudreau specifically last night. thought Lindholm was clearly the best player on that line. Um, I thought Hannafin struggled defensively, obviously, on the, the fourth goal where McDavid blew by him, but I thought just all night his reads were off and, and he was scrambling a lot, so I, I didn't love Hannafin last night, so those are some other observations. Uh, and then finally, goaltending. 
Nothing didn't change. Um, good grammar. Nothing changed for me when it comes to how I view this goaltending situation. David Riddick didn't get a lot of work, but I needed him to look sharp and look dialed. I didn't really think the two goals were on him. I, this is not based on the two goals that were scored. It's actually based more on the overall body of work. I thought he looked shaky. I thought the rebounds were still getting kicked out into bad spots. I, I, he just didn't look comfortable or in control. And while Talbot was shaky off the start, I thought he really settled in and looked solid for the, the majority of his 30 minutes. If I'm the Flames... I'm starting Talbot on Saturday. That was my take going into last night, and nothing changed based on last night. Talbot, to me, should be your night one starter. Yeah, Riddick needed to win the job last night, and uh, I just I don't think he did. And I, I'm with you. I don't know if any of the four goals you can really put on the the Flames goalies last night, but I, I had more confidence in how Talbot looked than how Riddick looked, and that needed to be the exact opposite if. David Riddick was going to take the, the game one start. Now, I, I think the conversation goes from will Cam Talbot start game one to how long of a leash does Cam Talbot have? And the Flames hope that conversation doesn't need to be had for a little for bit sure. because they hope he just steals the show and on they go. But I, I think Cam Talbot certainly now has earned the, the night one nod. Okay, hockey's officially back. We've got uh, three games in the books yesterday. One today, Lightning beat the Panthers 5-0. Uh, after 40, Avs are up 3-2 on the Wild. And Alex Ovechkin has scored for the Capitals. They're up 1-0 on the Hurricanes midway through the first period. Hockey is officially back. Whether you thought it was going to happen or not, it is. We're doing it. It's happening in front of our eyes right now. And you've got an opportunity to get in to our iconic electric and controls NHL playoff pool. Deadline is Saturday, 10 a.m. So go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now. Enter your team and get in on the fun. We've got prizes after every round. So after every round, we've got a gift card from Backyard Meats. And then the grand prize at the end of the Stanley Cup Finals for the overall winner is going to be a $300 gift card to Backyard Meats and a smoker from our friends at Paradise Bay. This is all courtesy of our good friends at Iconic Electric and Controls, promoting a culture of quality since 2008 and proudly owned and operated from Western Canada. Visit IconicEC.ca. Sign up now, sportsnet.ca slash 960. Okay, let's get weird. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. We're initiating someone. Patty Duma is getting his Wild Card initiation around the corner. Stay with us. We're getting real strange. John Pinder and Steinberg next. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Who's the odds on favorite to win tonight? With detailed matchup previews and expert analysis, oddshark.net will help you make the shark picks on game day. And it's free. Visit oddshark.net today. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, the fan. It's good to have our friends at Odd Shark back on board for Wild Card. Welcome back to the program. It's Pat Steinberg and Peter Klein. And uh, Klein, are you ready to do a, uh, an, a little bit of an initiation? It's not a hazing. We don't believe in hazing. So it's an no, initiation. No, of course not. Um, you just need to pass a test, and then you can get into the Wild Card Wednesday Club. Uh, Patrick Duma is uh, on the ones and twos today, and uh, Patty, you gotta you gotta get weird and play Wild Card Wednesday Wednesday with us. Are you uh, are you excited? Are you nervous? How well, do you feel? I'm 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 super excited. This was what I was really looking forward to when I came back to the afternoon show. Okay, well then I'm we glad. didn't have it. The last time I did it was 2017. We didn't have Wild Card Wednesday. That's right. You took a little bit of a hiatus with us, and now you're back, and we're happy to have oh, you back. Could we, you imagine if you and Rob did this? 
Well, <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I think it would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Would have been something. I don't know if it would have necessarily gotten off the ground the same way, um, and and probably for good reason. Um, Rob had some pretty good stories oh, to tell. God, though. Yeah. Some really good stories to tell, though. Would have had to do. I think I would have had to do some convincing. Yeah. But uh, I think it would have <laughs> been good uh, had had we done it. I'll say that much. Um, so here's the deal: if you've never done Wild Card Wednesday before, uh, we're sitting in our little casino here. We've got a big slot machine with five categories on it: pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. We all pull the slot machine once, ask a question, and we all answer. Now, usually, Kleiner. The producer goes first. Like, Logan's been our leadoff guy. Do we want to make Patrick go leadoff, or do we want to give him a little bit of time to, to get prepared and see how this whole thing goes? You make the choice. I think I think we put Pat in the middle. I think we have one okay. first, and then uh, old okay. Patty boy there, and then someone batting cleanup so that he has a chance to, to get acclimated to how weird this can be. But if he sucks, we still have a chance to end on a Fair high point. note. Fair point. Okay. Exactly. Uh, then I'll go. I'll go first. I can. Uh, I can go into the leadoff slot. Klein, you're just so clutch at, uh, at 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 cleanup that you need to stay there. So I'll go. I'll go leadoff here. Let's rock and roll. Let's uh, hit the slot machine for the first time. Let's do this. Hold on, my question. Personal life. Yeah, my favorite one. <laughs> um. Okay, gentlemen. What is the worst? Thing about you professionally or your biggest shortcoming in your job? This could have been career or it could have been personal life. I'm choosing it for personal life. You, the, the worst thing about you professionally, your biggest shortcoming in your job. All right. Um, God, there's just so many to pick from. <laughs> there's There it is. Your self-deprecating nature. There, there, that's, the, that's what I oh, would have no. said for hey. you. <laughs> It it got a it got a laugh from uh, from Patrick Dumas, so there it's hilarious. <laughs> thus, it's entertaining, and that's really what we're looking to do. Right. I, I think for me, it's the the ums and the ahs. I I need to cut down on that, and part of it is my mouth goes quicker than my brain does sometimes, and the the, the old brain's taking a bit of a beating in my Quick lifetime. Mouth. So need to me. yeah. Well, you know, um, never mind. But yeah, I. Sometimes the, the mouth gets going quicker than the brain after the, the hits that it's taken. So it takes me a few minutes to kind of catch up to where I was going with everything. So I'll I'll say mainly because I go too quick with everything. Uh, I'll, I'll say it's the ums and the uhs. Patty? Well, I would probably say uh, I get a little negative on myself a lot. If something goes wrong, I'll just beat myself up. And it's obviously not a good thing, but... Overall, I think I'm feeling I'm working on that a little more. Okay. But I just need to be less negative about things, be more proactive, be more positive, because I'm quite, you know, just I can be a little of an antagonist in things and be very pessimistic. So, like, especially with this whole COVID stuff, I was really like, oh, we shouldn't play sports. This is stupid. This is this is dumb. But now that I see it's like, you know, we see what the NHL is doing. We see what the NBA is doing. I think they're doing a really safe job with it. But I don't know that's me. I think I just need to be a little more positive about things. Um, and that's that's fair. And and it's it's good that I think it's good that you can recognize that. And 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 so that I think I think both are good. And look, it's always um, it's always good 
to take a critical, especially in this job, it's always good to take a critical eye to yourself. Here's here's what I think my biggest shortcoming is. I think the boss would agree. Uh, I think former co-hosts would agree. Um, it's it's something that I have I have definitely been working on more and more. Uh, I just I'm a little bit I'm a little bit too much, or or especially in the past, and I I still think it's something I struggle with now. I'm a little bit too much of a lone wolf in that a lot of the times it's not I I know that Labardius and I have had a lot of talks about this and I credit uh Lubo a lot for for you know just helping helping me get past this. I, I credit Rob Kerr a lot for for this as well. So a lot of the times I I'm very insulated and it's not that I'm not a team player. It's just that I don't ask for help very often. I'm because a lot of the time, especially in hockey season, I've got so much going on and I've got so much on my plate that I've got a very specific way or I had a very specific way of doing things that I knew worked and I knew I could get it all done. And when there's so much on your plate and and you've got so much that you need to take care of and everything has to get done or else you're just not going to do as good a job as you want to do. So when you have a routine that works and then somebody is like, well, you should change it or I need you to change it. I, I just, I kind of shut down and I insulate myself and I, I don't ask for help and I don't let enough people in, uh, in, in doing my job. So I've, I've really worked on that in, you know, there's been some therapy. There's been some hard chats with some coworkers. I've, I've really, I, I've really started to work on that and I think I've taken some significant strides. Like I wish I wish Rob could have worked with that Pat um with with you know months and months of of therapy on top of it. I, there's some other things that have happened that have led me to to put up those type of walls and stuff. So that's that's I think my biggest shortcoming. I, I've got too much of the lone wolf syndrome and I've really, really worked hard at being aware of that understanding when it's happening, why it's happening, and then taking the steps to change it. So uh, that's a, that's a, a, a deep answer. Um, I like that. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've really started to try to ask for help and use my teammates more in that, like, hey, th- this person can do it too. I don't need to do that. That's That has been my biggest shortcoming, I think, over the last decade and the biggest thing that I'm working on right now. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's a good one. Um, uh, someone along those lines, another one for me, and it's like this is just going to turn to twenty minutes. Another thing I'm crappy at, uh, <laughs> but uh, another one for me is like I'll get a, a routine that works, and this this bit me especially when I was doing mornings. Mm-hmm. I would get a routine down, and I would get things that would work, and it'd be working for a couple of weeks, and okay, things are starting. To, I'm starting to get into a bit of a groove here, and then I'd have not even one bad show, but like one bad segment, and I'd be like, well. Clearly what I'm doing is stupid. I don't know anything change at all. Change the entire need, routine. Yeah, and I need to change everything up. And so I, I still found myself when I was doing mornings, like eight, nine months in, it's like, oh yeah, I'm still trying to still trying to find a, a bit of a groove. And it's like, well, this is dumb. I'm nine months in. Like, it's probably time I should have found one and then eventually ended up just not. So it, it's one where like I, I find something that works and then it doesn't for a second. And I'm just like, nope, gone. Can't work. Have to change everything. Well, I'd say, uh, see, that's a good, very uh, personal, introspective first question. Duma, you're up next with question at number two. Let's keep it rocking and rolling. Here comes Patty Duma's Wild Card Wednesday debut. Career. Woo, okay. 
This was actually pretty fun. This actually, this you feel like this, Pat? Maybe you okay. can, maybe you can PK. Okay, so pick a job. You, you, this is it. You either have to be. They're both very crazy and very dangerous. Obviously, Formula One driver or astronaut. <laughs> well, you know my answer well, to this yeah, one. Eddie, what I was gonna say in the fifties, you'd know this, Pat. It was more dangerous to drive one of those cars than go to space. Yes, and <laughs> and now you know, Formula One has not had a racing-related death since uh, that tragic weekend where we lost Roland Ratzenberger yep. and Ayrton Senna in uh, in 1994. So rest in peace to both. Uh, we have had one uh, one one death. Well, I guess it, it was he not died a, after the wreck. It, it yeah. wasn't a racing incident. Uh, Jewel Bianchi yep. uh, passed away in, in a really unfortunate non-racing, non-safety, like non-car safety related uh, accident. And, and it's just so tragic that that's the last death that we've had in Formula One. Um, so in terms of the safety of the racing itself, it's never been safer. Like the they they have changed tracks. They have these cars could literally be going 450 kilometers an hour and be cornering at 390 if they wanted them to be. Because in terms of scientific achievement every year, it's NASA and then it's Formula One and then it's the rest of the world. Like they've got they literally have rocket scientists working on these cars. Uh, but they've made it so safe. They have limitations as to what they can do so that it remains safe. So yeah, I've, I'm such a Formula One freak. Uh, if if I had the balls to do either of them, I would be an F1 driver. I I think I might actually go with the the, the Formula One as well. Um, I think like being an astronaut, I don't know if the, the risk is worth the reward at this point. It'd be, it would be awesome to go to space. Don't get me wrong, but you go up there for a little bit, you're floating around. You have to get your body adapted to it. I mean, look, I've had my fights with gravity in the past for sure, <laughs> but you have to get your body acclimated to not having gravity and then your body acclimated to having gravity again. And then you're up there. And if something goes wrong, you just float off into infinity for forever. And it, it's just... At best, you get a cool view of the globe that we have pictures of anyway. But I, I don't have what it's like to know the rush of racing around a, a Formula One track. So I'm I'm going to go with uh, with a Formula One driver. Okay. You know yeah. it's 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 a tough one. Like I figure, you know, there's a whole like okay, well, I, F1. You know, you got am I with a good team? Am I Can I just before you yeah, give your answer? There's there's one more, and just. I I would say this off the air, but it's Wild Card Wednesday. Turn your mic up a little bit. You're you're getting drowned out a little by the, uh, the ambient go. noise. Okay. Um, so the other thing that does not make me go astronaut, I don't like the idea of the going to the bathroom yeah. in space. I'm not gonna lie to you. That whole see that's idea, the selling point to me. That, that whole idea the, just nope, not for me. That's the one positive. Yeah. When you invent space toilets. Let's uh, let's do it. But uh, you know what? Uh, for now, the whole idea of how you do that in space, just not for me. So you don't have to worry about that in Formula One. You can go before and after you're in your car and you're good. So that uh, that's another selling point for Formula One. Yeah, like I feel with Formula One, like I, I like like it's great getting up there with being in space. But it's like I hate confined spaces. I hate being with people in a close-knit area. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you know what? I love space. Like, I, I really do. I'm so fascinated with it. But, I mean, there's nothing better. Like, just the G-forces that get generated in F1. Like, just the the, the sheer, like, God, you got to make this turn. You got to, if you're, are you, you know, is, is your grip good? Is everything good? Like, I obviously, Pat, I'm, like, more of a NASCAR guy. But, like, I love F1, too. But 
man, like I can't, I can't, I can't say no to one of those cars. Like, geez, I don't care if it's with, you know, whatever Lance Stroll's team is or rocking with. Bruce I mean, Hamilton. Lance Lance Stroll's team right <laughs> He's now. Doing good. They're doing good. I shouldn't say it's that. The they second are. best team because yeah, they, they, they stole Mercedes car or were given Mercedes car from <laughs> exactly. Last year. They're going Aston Martin next year anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, okay. A midfield team's locking out the second <laughs> row. Get out of here. You guys are clearly cheating. Don't. Don't get me started. Or being like chilling with Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas or something like that. I I don't care if it's twentieth on the grid or first on the grid. I think they're all going to go fast either way, and I think that would be just such a killer job. Good question. Um, okay, Kleiner, you ready to go? You're in the cleanup spot. Let's pull. All right, it. let's do this. Wild card. Ooh. All right. Perfect. So it's actually funny that someone brought up the video game console thing earlier because that's actually where I was going to go even before this. Maybe not necessarily rank the the video game consoles, but one video game console for the rest of your life. What are you playing? One video game console for the rest of my life? Yep. Oh, boy. Because... Immediately, I go to the first thing in my head, but I'm I'm think I'm overthinking it because I'm worried that like that video game system would get repetitive, and you'd be like, okay, it's twenty thirty, and I'm still playing yeah. with these cartoony graphics. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about the replayability, but I'm gonna go with the Nintendo sixty four. Um, it was my it was the uh, I snapped to it immediately, and you know. I think with the variety of games with Banjo-Kazooie, you could uh, get yourself into that game for, you know, months at a time or Donkey Kong 64. Uh, that game is like the most intricate game of all time. You've got the two, le- like Ocarina of Time for Zelda, that the replayability there because it's so massive. Plus then you've got your classics like Super Smash Brothers, mm-hmm. GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, WWF No Mercy, uh, like you've got all these classics on top of it. So you've got like the the very immersive games that could keep your attention for weeks and months at a time. You've got the time killers that are great. Um, I think I have to Mario Kart, Diddy Kong Racing. Like I think I got to go with the N64. It's just the greatest system that's ever been created. And it's uh, has there been a cartridge system since? I don't think so. No. Nope. Um, I got to go N64. That's uh, that's my choice. Um, you know I'm in the same vein. Like I would say N64. I'm gonna go with PlayStation Two. Uh, it was like the first of that next gen system. Like of like what two, September 2000, it was released. I mean, you could play Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I just bought one pre-pandemic, and I bought NCAA Football 06. I got NASCAR Thunder 04, just like the classics from EA Sports that they put a lot more effort in back in those games than they did today. Like, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's nice graphics, but it's, it's just not as fun, I find it, playing. Everything's geared towards online now. I'm not a big online guy. I would stick with PS2, like, through and through. I think it's... One of the best systems ever made. On the the, the same wavelength, MVP as, Baseball 05. 
Yes. <laughs> the best game ever. Yes. See, he knows. Uh, but I, I'm going to go GameCube. It's just that area, uh, that era of console that I had. The sports games have a different, each one has a different personality to it. So there's a good replay factor. The one downside, there isn't really a strong wrestling game for the Nintendo GameCube, but I would get over that. There is a UFC game. It's not great, but it's still fun. And you still get like the, the Super Smash Bros and stuff like that. Um, just in the, the GameCube form. So I'm going to go with the Nintendo GameCube. Like, I'm not even done going through the incredible games for N64. Star Fox, and uh, like the, which was as fun a game Donkey to play Kong as Country. ever. All the Mario parties. Like, there's just so many good games. Uh, it's got to be the Nintendo 64. 64. Okay, you know, <laughs> Wave Race can probably beat it. <laughs> 1080 snowboarding can probably beat it. Um, Whoa, careful. <laughs> but Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1, 2, and 3, like, you just, and, and the, the joystick was so innovative at the time, and the, the tri, the tri controller, and yeah, I, the rumble pack. Ugh. I, I gotta go N64. It just was so innovative and did so much with cartridges. Gotta be N64. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a solid answer for sure. Some decent sports games, too. You're not a fan of Day of Reckoning there, Pete, for GameCube? Uh, it's not great. No, not great. <laughs> Good questions, boys. I like that. Uh, that is another edition and Patrick Dumas' first edition Yay. of Wild Card Wednesday. Who's the odds-on favorite to win tonight? With detailed matchup previews and expert analysis, OddsShark.net will help you make the shark picks on game day. And it's free. Visit OddsShark.net today. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, you uh, still have time to win your way into our Toronto Blue Jays hot stove with Ryan Pinder and the radio voices of the Toronto Blue Jays, Ben Wagner and Mike Wilner. It's a virtual hot stove next month. Uh, you've got a few weeks still to enter at sportsnet.ca slash 960 or Pinder's going to be giving away some spots on the air. Uh, you're going to win a spot into the virtual hot stove and a pretty cool prize pack from our sponsor, Wild Rose Brewery, who's been fueling hardworking Albertans since 96. Find their premium craft beers around Alberta and at their tap room and restaurant located in the Curry Barracks. Go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 for more information. Uh, yesterday's return to play didn't necessarily go off without a hitch. Um, a little bit, uh, just a couple of fun observations from the return to play yesterday. A couple of audio clips that I think you might get a chuckle out of. Short segment coming up on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. So I thought the NHL and the two television networks did an incredible job of bringing you the three games yesterday and the games that they're bringing you today. Like, I really did. They they worked hard. They, they have put a ton of planning into this. So good on the NHL and Sportsnet and NBC. Like, they have absolutely destroyed this thing in a good way they, they have knocked this thing out of the park and and i loved all of what we saw yesterday so a trio of exhibitions for the players yesterday trial run for everyone else too so you know there are a couple of things that i noticed yesterday that i found pretty funny look we're living in a covid world uh we're living in a world where we can't have fans in buildings and we're trying to recreate atmospheres and and you know, make it as authentic as humanly possible for everyone involved, including us, the viewing audience. So, again, disclaimer, this is not a criticism. This is just some fun observations of, of how things went last night. So, uh, I, I got a couple of sound clips for you, Patty. It's uh, Pat Steinberg, Patrick Duma, along with you. Pat squared with you here. And so, this was this was last night. So, 
listen, like listen to Derek calling this. It sounds like he is in the arena and and even it even sounds pretty authentic until it gets a little weird at the end of this goal call from last night. The Flames can't clear it out. Buck bomb. Over to Drysaddle. Drysaddle with a pass. McDavid shoots and scores. Sounds pretty normal. Well, they finished number one and number two in the Art Ross Trophy race, respectively. Until here. Leon Drysaddle sets up Connor McDavid for a tap-in. So what you heard there, again, so like right from the goal call and they have the Oilers goal horn going and there is some crowd noise, that sounded super normal. And had you played that for me uh, had you taken that and we had gone back six months in time and you played that formula? Oh, yeah, Derek's in Edmonton. But then what was really strange was that they immediately started. So we were getting this this ambient noise and the noise from the building. And then they immediately started to mix in the replay noise. So any of the the music and the pumped in crowd noise and the goal horn went away. Listen, like, so. McDavid shoots and scores. Goal horn. Yep. Cool. Well, they finished noise. number one and number two in the Art Ross Trophy race, respectively. And now replay noise. Leon Dreisaitl sets up Connor McDavid for a... So that was one thing that I thought was a little strange. Um, the Flames the Flames goal didn't necessarily sound as good as the Oilers' goal. Here's here's how it sounded when the Flames scored their only goal last night. Uh, Gaudreau's got it again. Gaudreau, the custom city shoots, he stopped, rebound, Lindholm scores! A little off, like, with just 3.6 seconds. A little off, like, close, close, getting there. But it was a little yep. delayed. Like scores. Crowd got quiet. Again, again, I am not criticizing. I'm just saying, like this is new for everyone. So this is cons- constructive criticism at the very worst. And even then, I don't think it's constructive. Well, I mean, criticism. you've heard the story. Jeff's probably told you, but he was like, okay, well, we got. Toronto controls it, and it's got to go to Edmonton, and then it's got to go here, or Toronto sends it somewhere. It's it's a ton of moving parts. And it really it, is. It's like applause, applause around for everybody involved in this broadcast. Like it's just amazing. Now here's my here's the funniest one though. Uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a slow trigger finger on this one. This is from the Habs and Maple Leafs last night. Played it back to the blue line. Riley's able to keep it in for Kerfoot. Kerfoot now banking it to Robertson. Back to the blue line. Riley, wrist shot, scores! A deflection in front of the net. Morgan Riley let it go, and I think Kerfoot might get the second goal here, if I'm not mistaken, of his night. You know, like, uh, just a quick, uh, like... Wrist shot, scores! A deflection in front of the net. Morgan Riley let it go, and I think Kerfoot might get the... About a six-second delay. <laughs> they could Holy probably on I just thought the goal... You're like, scores! And then it's like, okay. Okay. There's the goal horn. Look, <laughs> it's new for everyone. Everyone's getting their legs. That's why we're having these trial runs. I think it'll be pretty on point for Saturday. And and by the end of the qualification round, I bet they'll have this thing down pat. Uh, you know, there's some hiccups. There's hiccups for the teams on the ice. Hiccups for us back here. Hiccups for everyone. That's part of uh, doing something that nobody's ever done before. Right. Yeah, it's it's not going to be perfect right from the word go. But that that's... In part, one of the reasons why we're having these exhibition games is so everyone can figure this all, all this stuff out. And uh, I think they will definitely learn from that. Baseball had a, a few hiccups with their stuff as well. I'm sure the NBA is dealing with it uh, in their area. So it, it's just a lot of trial and error going on right now. 
I uh, all things considered, though, I, I did a hell of a job last night. And if you tuned in at any point to Lou and Derek doing the play-by-play, it sounded like they were there. That, and and that is a that is an absolute credit to everybody who has been involved in making this happen. Uh, from Jankowski to the goaltenders, we've got a ton to get into from last night's return to action for the Flames. Our daily Flames roundtable is an hour early. Usually it's at 4.05. Today it's at 3.05. Two minutes away from our daily Flames roundtable. Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg right now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Final hour of the program is underway at the top of the hour. Blue Jays baseball. Jays looking to make it three straight against the Nationals. Now, Kleiner, please please help clarify this for me. Okay. This is the start of a new series, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. Entirely. So the Jays swept uh, the- their series with the Nationals and now start a brand new series with the Nationals. Yes, the Blue Jays swept their series. And now look to carry the momentum into their series tonight with the Nationals in Washington. <laughs> it's true. And now they're the home team in Washington. Right. Why not? It's the 2020 yes, Major League Baseball season. This is like on the list of weird things. This is probably like number 29 as to how weird the Major League Baseball season has been. In even just for the Blue Jays, this isn't even high up on the list because uh, it's been so weird. Bichette and Grichek uh, out again uh, as the Jays yeah. look for their third straight win against but Nate the Pearson's in, baby. It's Nate Pearson Woo! night. I'm actually really excited. Um, playoffs or bus train continues for the 3-2 and two Toronto Blue Jays. Last night, Flames fall 4-1 to the Edmonton Oilers. It is time for our daily Calgary Flames roundtable for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. My name is Pat Steinberg. His name is Peter Klein. Another radio voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our roundtable. Um, guys, for an exhibition game in July, what did you think of the pace, the intensity, before getting into the specifics of the Flames last night? Just overall, for a exhibition Battle of Alberta in late July, what did you make of the game itself? I thought the pace was good. I thought the intensity was great. As a matter of fact, there was way more intensity in last night's game than I expected there to be. And that's despite the fact that when you look back at the four-game regular season series, which was unfortunately cut short because there was supposed to be a fifth game between the Flames and the Oilers, the regular season finale on April 4th, and boy, that could have meant something to one team or better yet to both teams. That would have been unbelievable. But no, I, I just didn't think there would be a lot of carryover from the regular season series, from the the hate that we saw in a, a Battle of Alberta, and it's great to see the battle back in the Battle of Alberta. Orloff in possession. Slap pass. Beautiful puck movement. It's a layup. But I didn't think that because it was an exhibition What a three-way passing play. Because Flames haven't played in 143 days. Because they didn't want to get hurt in a meaningless game against the Oilers that we would see that type of battle level, that type of hatred, but we did. And I think it was good. I think it was good for both teams because that's what it's going to take. Come Saturday in game one against the Jets. It's not just about executing a battle level. Flames so I think the fact that the Flames and the Oilers had quite a bit of that. Reload! He's gone! It was an exhibition game that really didn't mean anything last night. 
I think it was a great way to get ready for game one against the Jets. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, from a fan's perspective, it was excellent. I, I enjoyed it. There was pace. There was anger. There was speed. There was skill. There was so much hitting. Uh, a lot of hair as well. A lot of guys with clothes going. So, I mean, every aspect you can want in a hockey game was all there. And oh, yeah. Well, that's... That's unfortunate. But other than that, everything was fine. But uh, from a, a, an, an analyst's point of view, or whatever I pretend to be on the radio, there's actually a lot of stuff that you can get from that game. There's a lot of learning you could take from that. And uh, I think for the Flames, uh, a very good introduction, or I guess reintroduction, to competitive hockey, because uh, I think there's going to be a little extra in Game 1 between the, the Flames and the Jets, but that was a, a very good warm-up for him, for sure. A fine appetizer, indeed. Guys, when, when, I, saw, uh, when I saw Zach Cassian lay out Eric Gustafson, I was like, whoa! I, I thought this was an exhibition game. And, and yesterday, Kleiner made the comparison to this will probably be more intense than a regular preseason game probably more like the last game of the regular season when the result doesn't matter to either side and I was like yeah, okay that's a good that's, that's, if, if it's like that I'll be uh, I'll be happy I thought it was way better than that I had the pace was solid I, I I did not expect the intensity to be as high as it was I mean look we had Cassian throwing his body around and and you know somehow he was able to Nail Gustafson and force Gustafson to take a penalty, which I believe in the uh, the the Oilers then scored on. Like it all, that all worked out well. Um, I thought that you know there was some good bad blood between some of the the players involved. You know, there's not a lot of love between Rasmus Anderson and James Neal, and, and those two guys had a couple of exchanges. James Neal with a slash to the back of Matthew Kachuk got picked up. There's just the bad blood didn't go anywhere. And while both teams were very clearly pulling punches, they didn't pull as many as I thought they were going to. So I thought the physicality, the intensity, the dislike between the two sides was way more than I expected and made for the most entertaining exhibition game I think I've ever... The only other time that I've had that much fun watching a Flames game that didn't matter was when Theo Fleury played in that preseason game uh, against the New York Islanders when he scored in the shootout, all that type of stuff. That's the only other time when I can remember a preseason or exhibition game that I was like, I am dialed in and invested in this thing. And I was last night. I thought it was really, really uh, exciting and entertaining and good on both sides for making it that way. Yeah, you were certainly geared up before, during, and after last night's game, which was great to see. It was fun to be back in the cell point with a broadcast booth. As far as pace, guys, I thought the Flames had a tough time keeping up with the orders pace-wise in the first period. Mm -hmm. But then five or six minutes into the second, completely flipped the script. And there were three or four really good shifts in a row that completely changed the complexion of the hockey game. And until the orders scored those two quick goals, what, 33 seconds apart with about five minutes left in the third period. I thought the Flames controlled uh, the majority of the second, certainly the final 14, 15 minutes, and then also controlled the first 14 or 15 minutes of the third period. So, you know, around 30 minutes of really good hockey sandwiched between uh, kind of a sloppy and slow start and, uh, well, just the bad end of the game with those two goals against. But as far as intensity, yeah, I mean, there was some bad blood. What I was worried about and one of the reasons why I didn't think there would be the type of intensity that there turned out to be last night is just you're worried about getting hurt. You're worried mm -hmm. about being healthy going into game one, a, a meaningful 
I know it's not technically, or maybe it is technically, I, I still haven't been able to figure this out, but it's not a Stanley Cup playoff game. It's a Stanley Cup player playoff qualifier coming up against the Jets uh, on Saturday. But you want to be healthy going into that. So I didn't think guys were going to put themselves in a position to get hurt. But then again, quite often it's when you're trying not to get hurt that you do get hurt. And as far as we know, everybody came out of last night's game unscathed. So I think just about uh, the perfect way to get ready for meaningful hockey starting on Saturday. He's Derek Wills, radio voice of the Calgary Flames. He's Peter Klein, and my name is Pat Steinberg. This is the Daily Calgary Flames Roundtable. Um, unscathed physically, probably true, but I wonder, uh, I wonder how one player in particular is doing uh, mentally, and, and that is Mark Jankowski, who was benched in the third period, did not see a shift in the final frame. The team juggled up their bottom six as a result. Jankowski stapled to the bench. Sam Bennett moved between... Milan Lucic and Dylan Dubé, Derek Ryan was then playing with Tobias Reeder and Zach Ronaldo. What do we make of Mark Jankowski not playing a lick in the third period? How in danger is he of losing his spot come Saturday? I think you should be concerned about it. I really do. I don't know if him being stapled to the bench for the entire third period was the coaches sending him a very clear message and that message being, listen, uh, what we're seeing right now isn't good enough. You are in danger of losing your job. We're going to make that as clear as we possibly can by, by sitting you for the third period. Uh, you're going to have to be better in game one if you want to stay in for game two. Or if it's, you know what, we've decided uh, that we're, we're not getting enough and we're going to go in another direction at least to start the best of five series against the Jets. So I'm not sure what, uh, what the message that the coaches were sending him was, but I suspect it's probably one of those two things, and we'll have to wait and see. And uh, I think the Flames got a pretty good look at Sam Bennett playing up the middle again. And, I mean, him in between Milan Lucic and Dylan Dubé in the first intra-squad game, those guys were unbelievable. They dominated that game. I mean, completely dominated it. Now, they were back together for the second intra-squad game. They weren't bad, but they weren't good. Uh, at least not that good again. But then again, the players around them were a lot better. So I think it was going to be hard for any one line to dominate that second inter-squad game like they did dominate that first one. So then it was Derek Ryan back in that spot as a third-line center and you know Sam Bennett back on the fourth line, primarily playing on the wing with Mark Jankowski and Tobias Reeder. But you know everything changed up in the third period last night. And you know Mark Jankowski, he's a guy who kind of leaves me wanting more uh, or at least did for a good chunk of the season. And he actually went into the pause with you know, some pretty good numbers down the stretch. He was starting to score some goals and produce some points. It looked like he was kind of finding his confidence again and, and finding an important role with his team, uh, both at even strength and on the penalty kill. But then the pause on the, the 12th of March and you know four or four and a half months later comes back and certainly wasn't a standout during, during training camp 2.0 or in any of the intra-squad games. So I was... Uh, hoping to, to get a big game out of him last night. And I'm guessing the coaches probably didn't feel like they were getting that. Otherwise, uh, he probably would have played in the third period. So uh, I do think that uh, there will be a lot of discussion if a decision hasn't already been made uh, about whether or not he's going to be in or whether he's going to be out for game one against the Jets on Saturday. But the Flames have some good options. So Zach Ronaldo was dressed as a 13th forward last night. He gives you something that not a lot of other guys maybe – gives you something that no other guys in the team does. And, and that's that edge and that physicality. I mean, I think Sam Bennett can play that way. There's some other guys that can play that way and play that way and play more minutes 
playing that way. But Zach Ronaldo does bring those intangibles to the ice, and he's going to give you everything he's got, and he's going to get under the skin of his opponents. He's going to bring a ton of energy. He absolutely loves to win and hates to lose. I think there's a lot of good things about Zach Ronaldo. The thing is, you're really limited in the number of minutes you can play him. And when Mark Jankowski's playing well, you can certainly play him 12, maybe even 14 minutes a night and use him on the penalty kill. So he's got that going for him. But uh, he just has to be more impactful, in my opinion, in order to hold on to his job as a fourth-line center. Because if he's not, they can slide Bennett there. They can put Bennett up on the third line and move Ryan down to the fourth line. They can bring in an Alan Quine or an Austin Zarnick or a Buddy Robinson or a Byron Fraze. They've got plenty of options uh, on the fourth line or even in the bottom six. So uh, for me, Mark Jankowski is going to have to be better if he's given an opportunity to be better moving forward to hang out of that job. But uh, I suspect that uh, he's on uh, very thin ice at this point. I I agree. I, I barely noticed him a lot last night. I, I wasn't admittedly a huge fan of, of Zach Ronaldo's game either, but I, I at least noticed him more in that game. And when you have other options down the middle, I got to notice you. And Mark Jankowski has had plenty of opportunities and I'm with Derek. It's just, you keep seeing a couple flashes where it's okay. There's something, but it's just, it's not enough at this point. And when things are so tight as they're probably going to be against the Winnipeg Jets, I, I just, I can't be left wanting anymore. So I, I, I think his job is very much in danger to the point where I would be maybe even a little surprised given that he's sat for the third period of their exhibition game. If he's out there night one against the, mm -hmm. the Winnipeg Jets, I would be, I'd be a little bit surprised at this point. Uh, to, to answer my own question. Yeah. I, I do think that he is right now in danger of, of losing his spot for, for Saturday against the Jets. And if it were me, I wouldn't have him in. If it were me, I would start Saturday Either the way yesterday ended with Bennett between Dubé and Lucic and Ryan with Ronaldo and Reeder, or I would swap Ryan and Bennett. One of the two I would start with. I just the, the reason why I think that Bennett with Dubé and, and Lucic is the way to go is because I don't think Bennett would be like I don't think on that line Derek Ryan necessarily needs to elevate the guys with him to make them a, an effective line. Uh, they're just an effective line with Ryan there. They're an effective line with Bennett there. Whereas I think Ryan, because of how versatile he is and and how smart he is, he's a guy that can elevate those guys on the fourth line. I think better than mm -hmm. Bennett can. And so I I think you are setting your all around lineup in a better spot if you have Bennett with Lucic and Dubé and they're effective, and then Ryan raising the level of a five-on-five -five line with Reeder and Ronaldo or Reeder and somebody else, depending on, on the situation, you still get Ryan and his big-time penalty kill role as well, and you can probably roll him out there for some extra five-on-five -five shifts if you don't want him to have his ice time scaled down too much. I, I like the look of that, and I think that that is a better lineup to give the team a chance to win than with Jankowski in there. That's how I'd start for game one on Saturday. Yeah, and I mean, the development of Sam Bennett and the Flames' ability to move him around from line to line and position to position because he's a natural center, don't forget. They drafted him as a center, and I know he's played primarily on the wing, more left wing than right wing in his NHL career, but sometimes it takes players a little time to develop. And there are more defensive responsibilities when you're playing up the middle. And at times, I think they felt like Sam Bennett was maybe freer to, to be the thorn in the side that he can be when he's on his game if he was on the wing and able to get in there on the four check and bang and crash a little bit. But maybe he's developed to a point where he can be what 
they thought they were drafting and that's uh, a high-end centerman and and maybe there's uh, some time between uh, being a bottom six centerman and a top six centerman and I still think that he has the potential to, to turn into one of those guys but I really liked how he looked up the middle again and we saw it again in a couple of interest squad games and that kind of made me wonder well I wonder if if they are going to potentially use mm-hmm. him up the middle in the qualifiers or should they get there in the playoffs and another strong showing last night and Pat with what I saw last night playing against another team as opposed to, to playing against their own teammates, I would probably go uh, in the same direction that you would. I think I would start Sam Bennett between Milan Lucic and Dylan Dubé. I think that could be a really tough line to play against. Dubé is absolutely flying right now. Great skater, getting into the forecheck and c- causing havoc. I'm seeing Bennett do Lucic, obviously very imposing physically, and he can bang and crash as well. I think that is a line that could spend a lot of time on the four check and a lot of time in the offensive zone. And even if they don't score, I think they can really set up the line that comes on the ice after them to do something good by wearing down the other team, pinning them in their own zone and, and really making life difficult for them. And then I think about the versatility of Derek Ryan. You can play him anywhere in your lineup. We've seen him fill in as the first line center for Sean Monaghan and, and do it really well. We've seen him center the, probably the second line at some point in time. I don't really remember, but uh, certainly the third line a lot, the fourth line from time to time. And what if you could create a checking line out of that fourth line, a shutdown line out of that fourth line? I think you've got two-thirds of it with Derek Ryan and Tobias Reeder. The question for me is, who would play the other wing? I'm not sure that Zach Ronaldo is a guy who's going to be playing 12 or 14 minutes a night on a regular basis and, and getting a regular shift. I do think there are things that he could bring to the table, but if you want to put together a shutdown line or a checking line, what about a guy like Alan Quine? I, I think he's a solid two-way player. He's got some offensive upside. He's got some experience in the Stanley cup playoffs. So what about a threesome of Ryan between Quine and reader as a, a group of three that could play against one of the jets top two lines. I think that becomes an option at this point. Yeah, and I, I'm with you. I think they've got some interesting options that they can work through, uh, whether it's between now and Saturday or maybe it's between now and, and Game 2 after what they see on Saturday, but they definitely have some options, no doubt about it. Our Daily Flames Roundtable consists of Derek Wills, Peter Klein, and my name is Pat Steinberg. Final topic on our roundtable today. Gents, did you move any closer to a definitive feel on a goaltender with last night, or were you already set and and nothing changed? I'm just curious as to where you are when it comes to goaltending coming out of yesterday's game. I wasn't set. I was leaning. I'm still not set, but I'm still leaning in the same direction. Cam Talbot has been the better of the two guys if you go back to the start of training camp 2.0, at least in my opinion, and it's pretty clear-cut for me. I think... What I wanted to see last night and probably what Jeff Ward and the coaching staff and, and Bradshaw Loving and the management group wanted to see last night was one guy say, this is my job and I'm going to take it. And I don't think that happened, but I, I wouldn't pin that another either guy. So Cam Talbot plays the first almost 30 minutes. The Flames are n- no good in front of him to start that game, uh, spending way too much time in their own zone defending, uh, kind of running around all over the place. I thought he looked shaky in the first 10 minutes or so, gives up a couple of goals and was fighting it a bit, uh, both in stopping the puck and handling the puck. But he's a veteran guy who's pretty even keeled. And I thought he did an outstanding job kind of settling down after uh, a shaky start and really 
playing, if not at the top of his game, pretty close to the top of his game, I'd say in the back half of the first period and then in the front half of the second period before he was, was replaced by David Riddick right around the 30-minute mark. So, you know, Cam Talbot at the end of the night stopped, what, 17 of 19 shots? It's not a bad night's work, especially when your team didn't get off to a good start and you didn't get off to a good start. Yeah. But I think both the goaltender and the team in front of him settled down and started to play better as the game went on. So then he, he's playing behind the team that's not playing well. David Riddick comes in and is playing behind a team that is playing well. As a result, doesn't get a lot of work. What did he face? Nine shots? Nine shots, yep. Yeah, and he ends up stopping seven of them. And you look at the two goals that he gives up. So the first one... It's a bad bounce for sure, uh, but he does kick the puck into the slot, so that's on him. But I, I think the defenseman must have been thinking, well, our goaltender's got plenty of time to play this puck. Uh, it should be an easy play, an easy outlet for him. I'm not going to hurry back. But if, if one or both of the defensemen do hurry back, chances are Patrick Russell is not allowed to just walk up Main Street, pick up that rebound, and put it into the net. So partly on the goaltender, I think partly on the defenseman there. The fourth goal... Noah Hennepin falls, uh, the best offensive player on the planet. Connor McDavid picks up the puck. It wasn't a breakaway, but it was kind of a one-on-one -on -one versus David Riddick. Would he like to stop that shot? Absolutely. Goaltenders hate it when the puck goes through them. Uh, I wouldn't call it a bad goal, but it, it wasn't a great goal either. So I think he'd probably like to have that one back. But, you know, he wasn't getting a lot of work. He was kind of bored at one end of the ice while the Flames were spending most of their time at the other end of the ice testing Miko Koskin and, and then Mike Smith. So I think really hard to evaluate the two goaltenders because the team wasn't very good in front of Cam Talbot to start. He wasn't very good, but then they settled in and so did he. And then they were really good in front of David Riddick when he came in. And then things kind of blew up in the final five minutes, but it was tough to evaluate him prior to that because he just didn't get very much work. But I went into the game to make a, a long answer just a little bit longer thinking, yes, Cam Talbot was definitely the better guy in the back half of the regular season. I take that with a grain of salt because it's been more than four months since the team played. He has playoff experience. David Riddick does not. He didn't look like it at times last night, but I do think that overall he's a better puck handler than David Riddick is. And I think he's been the better of the two goaltenders during training camp 2.0 and practices and intra-squad games. And I, I think he was probably better last night in the one exhibition game the Flames are going to play. So I was leaning Cam Talbot. I'm still leaning Cam Talbot. I wouldn't be completely surprised if the Flames gave David Riddick the game one start. But with all that I just said, uh, if it was my decision, I would go with Talbot. But uh, the, the Flames are lucky. I'm not sure there's a wrong answer to this question, Pat. I, I also lean Cam Talbot. And last night, pretty well solidified that for me. Not uh, Again, the, the bounce on Riddick, that's a tricky one. And when Connor McDavid scores a no-look goal on you, I mean, stuff happens. Like, that, that sucks. Yeah. But also... For, for David Riddick, he was kind of put in a position where he couldn't allow those things to happen. That that's that's Those are the types of things that can't happen when you are battling for a number one spot and battling from behind for a number one spot. So to, to me, Cam Talbot certainly had the, it's weird to say this, had the benefit of the team playing not great in front of him, so he had more opportunities to shine. But David Riddick was in a position, because Talbot outplayed him in training camp, where he needed to shine as well. And a couple of the bounces don't go his way. It's tough for Riddick. I would be stunned if we don't see him at any point in the qualifying. Like, I don't think it's Cam Talbot from now to October. But I, I think for game one, the, the the lean is very heavy toward Cam Talbot. And I don't know what would change my mind at this point. There's, there's a lot of things that need to be factored into this one. But 
I'm I'm where you are, Klein. If if I were making the decisions, I'd start Talbot on Saturday against the Jets. Um, so in that regard, that that's where I would go. I don't know where they are. I don't know if the Flames have made their decision. Jeff Ward said yesterday they hadn't. Um, but I I would go with Talbot. But I do think there are some things to consider and and some important things that they might have to do after making their decision. Specifically, if they do do go with Talbot, because I think you're right, Klein and and Derek. We've talked about this. Flames play three games in four days, and I don't know if you're comfortable playing the same goalie in all three of those games, knowing that we're still talking about just coming back from a four, four-and-a-half-month break. So to, to go with Talbot in all three of those four games, including a back-to-back, that might not be the best way for the Flames or any NHL team to approach it. So if you're going to go with Talbot in game one, the message has to be, yes, Talbot in game one, but Dave, be ready. Uh, I don't think you need to finesse it the same way with Talbot because he's so even keel. But as we talked about, Riddick's more of an emotional guy. So I would go with Talbot in game one, but I would almost tell Dave that, hey, we're going with Talbot in game one, but we're probably going to you in game two or game number three. So do not take this as any slight. Be ready. You're still our guy too. That That's probably the way I would approach it if I were the team. Yeah, and I mean, when I look at the two goaltenders, and I don't know if you guys see it the same way, I think David Riddick probably has a slightly higher ceiling than Cam Talbot. I mean, when he's on, he he looks unbeatable sometimes. And, and I'm not saying that Cam Talbot can't look that way as well because he has, and hopefully he will if he gets an opportunity to, to play for the Flames in this series against the Jets. But Riddick, I mean, when he has his A game, he's almost unbeatable. But I also factor in the floor. And I think that Cam Talbot probably has a slightly higher floor than David Riddick does. So, I mean, it really depends. And the other thing, and and you kind of touched on it, Pat, is you have to manage your people as well. And I think you have to ask yourself the question, okay, if we do have to change goaltenders in a game or in this series, how are they going to handle it? Right? And I think it's a question they asked themselves last Mm -hmm. year. Even though for me it was way more clear cut, Mike Smith was the better goaltender in the back half of the season and was certainly the best player in that series against the Avalanche. Uh, I thought for sure he should start. He did start. He finished that series and he was their best player. So I thought it was more clear cut last year. But I also think that something that may have factored into the Flames' decision is if we don't start Mike Smith in game one against the Avalanche and we need to go to him at some point in time during this series, is he going to be in the right place mentally? to to give us his best hockey whereas with David Riddick a younger player who went into last season as the backup the clear backup if if you had to go to him I think he would have been raring to go uh and maybe too high but that's a conversation for another day this year I kind of wonder if the roles are reversed if if you had to go to David Riddick if he would be in the best place mentally to to play his best hockey if he didn't get the start in game one because you went to Cam Talbot so Something that you have to factor in. I don't think the Flames need their goaltender to steal this series versus the Jets. I'm not saying they don't need really good goaltending because you've got a a Vezina Trophy trophy finalist at the other end in Connor Hallibuck. I I just think that if the Flames play the right way and their goaltender is really good, uh, that they can beat the Jets. But what they they can't have is is a goaltender who costs them games. Mm -hmm. So... Man, tough decision. That's why Brad Loving and Jeff Ward make the money that they do and why we make the, the money that we do or uh, don't. But uh, fascinating conversation. I think it'll be Talbot. That's the direction I would go in. 
but uh, we'll see what they do Saturday night. I don't think we'll find out until Saturday morning. That's my suspicion. Probably right on that front. Uh, I think I'm uh, with you on that one. Good stuff, Derek. We'll talk to you tomorrow, uh, regular time, 4 o'clock. Thanks for doing this, as always. Okay, guys. Have a good night. It's Derek Wills on the Daily Calgary Flames Roundtable, along with Klein and myself from Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Well, we know John Chaika is out as general manager in Arizona, but what about the future of head coach Rick Tockett? That and more coming up with our Pacific Division insider, Jonathan Davis. It's around the corner on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The NHL return to play is well underway, and the games start mattering for real on Saturday. Let's take a closer look at the Pacific Division now with our Pacific Division insider. Jonathan Davis joins us Wednesdays on the program. Hello, Mr. Davis. How'd you enjoy watching some hockey today and yesterday? Oh, man, it's been great. Just sitting here in the man cave and, uh, you know, it's... uh... Get ready for a long day because I'm doing a little uh, recap tonight on NHL Network Radio, so it's uh, it's a long one for me. Well, that's good. I uh, I uh, I feel your pain. That was yesterday. It's not real pain. I just feel you. Uh, it was because yeah. yesterday was a long one, and and I really didn't feel like a long day at all uh, because there was so much uh, so much good stuff to talk about. Let's uh, let's get into it and uh, get into some of these topics that you know you and I have been kicking around, and let's start with the Arizona Nashville series in the qualification round. And the Coyotes go into this series in an absolute mess with uh, their general manager no longer with the team. John Chica is out, but that situation hasn't been put to bed. This is a mess in Arizona, isn't it? It is. And, you know, look, I think there's a couple of things to, cons- to you know, it's not just John Chica. It's, you know, look, we'll see what happens with, with Steve Sullivan, uh, you know, the interim GM for now, uh, where he stands as a full-time GM. You know, Rick Tockett's contract is up after next season. And, you know, I would just something to keep an eye on and what happens with Tockett and if he remains in Arizona. I, I'm not, you know, there, there's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes there, I get the sense. And so we'll have to kind of see how that plays out. And then the other thing is, you know, what, what does Taylor Hall do? You know, with, with, with some of the uncertainty going on in Arizona, you know, how does that affect his decision? And if you're Arizona, Pat, is this the guy that you want to make your highest paid forward? I, I'm not sure he is. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of that decision might come down to what happens in this postseason. Can they get past Nashville? Can Hall elevate his game? I'm, I'm completely with you. That's a, a big decision they've got to make. And, and then they've got to decide who's going to be making that decision. The owner? The new general manager? Is it going to be Sullivan? Is it going to be somebody else? What, what are we talking about in terms of candidates for the general manager position with Sullivan filling the chair right now? Well, I, I think there are a couple of guys. Out there. There's Sean Burke, who was, the, uh, you know, was an assistant GM in Arizona years ago under Don Maloney. There's Mike Fuda, who was recently not renewed by the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, Mark Hunter would be another one, uh, who's, you know, three guys that, you know, have been mentioned for, you know, for, for past jobs. So I think those are, you know, those are three names that, that, that come to mind for me. Uh, all, all good candidates, all with something different to offer. You know, obviously Burke has got, uh, you know, a connection to the organization. Um, but I think that with Mike Fuda, you know, you've got a guy there that, uh, you know, he, he, his track record in Los Angeles speaks for itself. Um, he, he's really, I think he's done a, a very, very good job. And uh, I, I think, you know, 
there, there's a lot of good choices. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that, that Steve Sullivan is not the option. And I'm not saying that Scott Walker, who's, uh, you know, would likely fill the role of the assistant GM, or I think is doing that right now, uh, you know, that those guys aren't going to stay. But there's no pressure right now on, on the Coyotes to make a decision until they're eliminated from the playoffs. Yeah. What, and, and just to explore a little bit more on Tockett, I mean, I guess that depends on who the GM is going to be, but what, what, is, what is your sense of, of how the organization feels about Tockett? I think the organization does like Rick Tockett. I, I'm, I'm just not sure, you know, uh, you know for, from my understanding, I, I just, uh, I think that they're, they're just, there may be some issues outside of ownership that, uh, you know, that, that, that just may, may not be a good marriage for Rick Tockett okay. and, and the Coyotes. Okay, fair enough. Uh, what about on the other side of this series, as the Predators are the opposition, what are the Preds going to do in net here? Well, I think that that's, that's, a, that's interesting. I mean, it's been 80, 89 playoff games and someone other than Pecorene has started for the Nashville Predators. And uh, that was a stat that uh, I have to give credit to uh, my great uh, staff in, in researching, and that great staff being Adam Vindian of the, uh, the Athletic, uh, mm. who covers the Predators. Uh, uh, that was one that, he, that I saw in a recent story. Uh, that's pretty remarkable that it's been 89 games. But if you take a look at what John Hines did, you know, heading, uh, you know when, when the pause hit, UC Soros had started four consecutive games. And, you know, he had two shutouts in, in four of those games. Uh, he's been the better goalie. The, the, the save percentage is, is far better. The goals against average is far better. I mean, the only thing that, that, that um, Pecorene has done better is that he's got, he's got a goal and two assists, and, right. and UC Saros has no points this year. Um, but it would not surprise me to see UC Saros being the guy that, that gets the call in game one. Which would be a precedent center be setter because of how long Pekka Rene has been the guy, and as you said, how many playoff games he started. That's a really impressive stat, and I'm curious as to because the Predators have not. If you look back to when the regular season was still ongoing, and this was not a great year for Nashville. They were a bubble playoff team. They really underachieved in most minds. And I'll ask you this question. I'm curious as to your take. How? How solidified, how safe is David Poyle's spot as general manager right now? I, I think that there, he, he's definitely on the hot seat. Although, you know, in saying that, I mean, he's beloved in that organization. Um, it, it's an organization that, that uh, you definitely fly under the radar. You're not in a media-crazed hockey market. So it's a little easier. But I wouldn't be surprised that if things don't work out, that they have, you know, a significant playoff run. And that, to me, you know, has to be – they've got to win at least two series, at least. I mean, you know, look, you, you look back at what they've done, and, yeah, they, you know, they had a great – they had that run when they made it to the finals. Um, but it's really been up and down. And David Poyle's made a lot of trades, and I – you know, look, I, I, I think it's – I applaud him for being aggressive. You know, we criticize so many GMs for not being aggressive, but – you know, look, the deals that he's made, whether it be the, you know, the, the Weber for Subban and then ultimately having to move Subban for really nothing. And then, you know, he, the signing of Matt Duchesne uh, and that, you know, it's been a rough start for Matt Duchesne. And there's another guy that needs to have a really good playoff. 
I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if a change was made and, and, you know, David Poyle was put into, you know, another front office role. But I think that it, it wouldn't be a bad time for the Predators, you know, to, to kind of reevaluate where they're at. It, it, it's, it's just, uh, I think, a roster that's flawed and they've got some issues, you know, whether it be the Kyle Turris contract or, you know, look, Ryan Johansson, uh, I, I think, it, you know, it would be a great number two, but not a number one. Um, I don't, you know, Matt Duchesne has a lot that he can offer, um, but I don't think that Matt Duchesne, I may have said it on your show before, I think that the Predators would have been better off signing Nazem or trading for Nazem Kadri than signing Matt Duchesne. I think that's the type of player mm-hmm. that this roster needs so desperately. He is Jonathan Davis, NHL Network Radio, joins us Wednesday. He's our Pacific Division insider. Let's get to that series between Minnesota and Vancouver, a Canucks team that has has absolutely earned their way into this qualification round but you just you look at them especially at forward is a little bit top heavy hey well they are there's no i mean look their their top 6 is as good as any top 6 in the league but then then you've got a bit of a fall off and you know as it stands right now you know they've got Jay Beagle, Tyler Mott and Michael Furlan playing on that fourth line and you know the analytics community will tell you that Beagle and Mott have really been just an absolute dumpster fire when they're on the ice. And, you know, maybe if Jake Vertanen can find his way back into the lineup, you know, maybe he would be better suited to play on that fourth line to give them a, a little, a guy who can play maybe a little more responsible and also provide some offense. Now, look, Vertanen has played himself out of the, out of the roster uh, for now, and things can quickly change. But, you know, look, Minnesota, and you watch them today against Colorado, you know, the one thing that, that they don't scare you. I mean, one they're they're just they're a deep team. They don't have any one player that stands out. I mean, you know, Kevin Fiala was their leading scorer. He's 57th in the NHL in scoring. So it's not like uh, you know there, there's a guy that frightens you. But you know, the, the one thing, uh, Pat, is that you know they're really good five on five. They were plus 16 this year. That's that, that's one of the better teams in the league. And, and the Vancouver Canucks are a team that really relies on the power play. They're, they're not a good five-on-five team. They were minus four, which is down towards the bottom of the league, five-on-five. And they're a team that, uh, you know, only Edmonton only scored more power play goals than. So they're, they're going to have to do their best to really try to capitalize on specialty teams because Minnesota is so disciplined. Well, and, and it's, not like, it's not like the Wild were a complete also-ran. They were... They were making a nice little run prior to the pause, and and I'm I'm with you. They're still a pretty deep team at forward. I, I like I like their back end. Like it's it's not like I know a lot of people are pointing to the Wild and saying the the Canucks should probably get past them easily. I don't know if it's going to be that easy a series. I, I yeah I would agree. I think that if you know I I don't know if people realize that I mean Min- Vancouver was only one point better than Minnesota during the regular season. Now look, I'm not a huge Wild fan. Never have been. I mean, I think that they're a team that, that's maybe, you know, they can win around. I wouldn't expect them to win two. Uh, you know, their goaltending situation, Alex Salok had a, re- had a really good season. I think he's going to be the guy that's going to start. At least, you know, he had a great run uh, down the stretch. I think he won 11 of his last uh, 15 or 16 games. Uh, Devin Dubnik has not been good. And this is a wild team. You talk about their back end. It is a really solid back end. I think that they were – you know they were at the top of the league in in giving in giving up the fewest high danger chances. The problem was, is that Devin Dubnik was just atrocious 
in those high danger opportunities. Right. And and that's what really hurt Dudnik in the wild for a good part of this year. But look, you know, they've got a, a veteran team. I think that their window is closing big time. But the one thing this four months has done is it'll allow guys like Eric Stahl, Zach Parise, Miko Koivu, Ryan Suter to get some rest. Um, but I, yeah, so yeah, I think they're going to, it's going to be an interesting match on, on which style of play can, can win in that Vancouver, uh, Minnesota series. And the other issue with the Canucks is that, look, their defense is not great. Uh, Jacob Markstrom is their best defenseman. There's no question about yeah. it. And, and he's going to need to be good once again. Tell us a little bit more about Kevin Fiala and, and kind of what he's done under the radar this year in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a guy that, uh, you know, I, I think it was a real learning lesson for him. Um, you know, he, he, he really struggled at um, didn't put in the work that was necessary when he was in the national organization. And he's been given this opportunity in, in Minnesota and, and really flourished. And it started under Bruce Boudreaux and it continued under Dean Evison. Uh, and, and when, you know, if you're looking at, when you look at this wild organization, they're going to need players like Kevin Fiala, younger players uh, to, to really take hold of things. Because as I said, you know, look, Zach Freezy's numbers are okay, but uh, you know, he, he's in his mid thirties and yep. uh, they need some youth in this lineup. And that's where a guy like Fiala, if he can continue uh, it, 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 it's just something that this organization so desperately needs. With Jonathan Davis, Pacific division insider. He joins us Wednesdays here on Pinder and Steinberg Vegas golden Knights. We, we know that this is a deep team. We know that they have got depth everywhere. Let's, let's take a, a specific look at their group at forward. That, that number three line, if that's what you want to call it in, in Vegas, pretty solid. Like right now, if you were to say number three line, what does that look like for the Vegas Golden Knights right now? Well, for Vegas, it looks, it's got Alex Tuck, Chandler Stevenson, and Nick Roy. And, you know, Chandler Stevenson came over from, from Washington, uh, saw some uh, time in the top six with the injuries that, that Vegas had, and it forwarded himself quite well. But I think that, you know, having him playing in that third line role uh, makes Vegas stronger. And I think it's a better slotting for him as well. And then Alex Tuck, you know, this is a guy that's got offensive upside. Uh, you know, he missed 29 games this year for the golden Knights, but healthy now. And then, you know, Nick Roy, who, uh, you know, he's got his feet wet, you know, he had, he had five goals and 10 points in 28 games, uh, decent enough for a third line role, but you know, look, there, that line's not going to hurt you on the ice, and then you know you roll, you then you roll out their fourth line, who can just beat the living snot out of teams with Carrier and um, and Ryan Reeves, and then you add Nick Cousins, who they got from the Montreal Canadiens, and you know Gary Lawless, the who you, you're very familiar with. I mean, Gary was telling me that was that was a key, a, a big acquisition for them. That was the type of player that they were looking for to add depth to that roster, and. He's a guy that has even seen some time with Max Pacioretty hurt. You know, they've even slotted him up uh, on the top line while Pacioretty was out and, and missed the last couple of days of training camp. But he's a guy that, that can also play up and down your lineup. So, yeah, look, 1 through 12, I mean, there there's not really a hole, I don't think, on that roster. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your, uh, from afar, your observation on Calgary's goaltending situation right now. 
Well, I, I think that, you know, I, I would just go, I would go with Cam Talbot. I, I just think that there's more of a trust factor. I mean, the one thing, you know, that uh, we had that, oh, my God, here we go again with Talbot, you know, giving up a goal on the first shot last night. Was, mm-hmm. And, my, you know, yep. and we, <laughs> how many times have we seen that in Calgary? Uh, but I thought after that, he looked really good. And I don't think he did anything to hurt himself. Um, whereas I think, you know, David Riddick, um, you know, you, you had that, uh, you know, that uh, ground ball down the, down the middle that uh, he had a rough time with. And, uh, you know, the two goals in the thir- in 33 seconds, it was kind of concerning. Uh, I, I just think that I, I would, I would run with Talbot and, and see where it goes. I, you know, I, a little more experience. Um, you know, I think that the, the disconcerting part for, for David Riddick is that, you know, he's been given every opportunity to take the, take, you know, the number one job and he hasn't been able to, to grab it yet. Now there's still time in his career, but for now, if I'm Calgary with everything that, that went on last season, especially, mm-hmm. I think I feel much better with Cam Talbot in net than I do David Riddick. And finally on that flames and jet series, you're focused on, on one matchup in particular, one forward matchup in particular. Well, I, I just think that, that, you know, Sean Monaghan and, and Johnny Goudreau have to at least match offensively the numbers of Wheeler and Shifley. I mean, I think, you know, Calgary's or Winnipeg's got, you know, Connor and Line A uh, as well. But I just think that, you know, th- that's that for me, if I'm the Calgary Flames, if those two guys don't have a good series, then forget it. There, there's, just, there's just not enough offensive depth in that Calgary lineup. Um, so they at least have to match those two, in my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. It's good to hear what you, how you feel, but I just think that as those two go, so do the rest of the team. I, I think that um, – I, I absolutely think that those two guys are, are massive, and whether it's matching those guys or whether it's the backland line that takes on Shifley and Wheeler and, and tries to shut them down, and then that frees up Monaghan and Gaudreau for you know, matchups that might help them a little more offensively, whatever the case may be, those two guys have got to thrive, and, and I, I'm completely with you. So, yeah, the spotlight in this city on those two guys is massive right now, and we'll see if they can rise to the occasion. Great stuff as always, my friend. Thank you for doing this early. We'll talk to you at regular time next week. Have a great week. Enjoy it. And can't wait for Saturday to start. Me neither. Jonathan Davis, our Pacific Division insider from NHL Network Radio, joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, now open for limited dine-in service. With all safety precautions in place, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Back to wrap Pinder and Steinberg on a Jays game day on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Tinder and Steinberg, right now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, just minutes away to sending you to the Blue Jays home opener in Washington. Uh, nothing I said there inaccurate, correct? That's that's a accurate statement I just made, Klein? Uh, yeah, that nailed it. 100% factually correct. Twenty twenty, baby. Uh, what yep. are you, uh, your early season thoughts on this Jays team? I'm. I came into the year very optimistic. Um, we're we're now five of sixty games in, which is uh, you know a significant amount. We're now eight point three percent through ca- Toronto's season. Uh, I'm still feeling pretty optimistic about the Blue Jays. I, I like a lot of what I've seen so far. You can make the case they should be four and one, maybe even five and zero. Oh. And when you look at who they've played with the Rays, who are a lock playoff team, and the Nationals, the defending World Series champions. 
at worst, at the end of today, they're going to be 500 at three and three. I, I would take that a hundred times out of a hundred. I, I like a lot of the starting pitching, liking a lot of the hitting that they've been getting, starting to take advantage of some situations yesterday. So I, I really like a lot of what I'm seeing. Nate Pearson, baby. Let's have a good oh, start. Good. I can't wait. Nate Pearson's on the mound. Blue Jays home opener in Washington. You know the reason why that's happening. Kleiner, have a good night. We will talk to you on a full show tomorrow. Be well, my man. You as well. Cheers. Uh, Blue Jays baseball with Ben Wagner and Mike Wilner is coming your way next. For Patty Dumas and Peter Klein, my name is Pat Steinberg. Full show tomorrow, but that is an abbreviated edition of Pinder and Steinberg. Be well, be safe. Sportsnet 960, The Fan.